0: The name of our podcast is with Victor. What what is Victor? What is your last name? I didn't even Camacho. check. I'm a terrible host.
1: Camacho Victor Camacho. You
0: mm-hmm. can Camacho
1: Camacho. It's uh, okay. South American. Well, spa- I don't know. I don't know what the real origin is because it's like a pretty big name in the spa- Spanish and Portuguese speaking world. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm half Colombian, half Danish, half Colombian. That's uh, comes from my dad. Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's cool to talk to you because I, I always love talking to you and I always feel like I uncover a couple, like a couple gems and uh, yeah, for anyone listening who's wondering, Victor's really has done a lot of like internal healing work and and meditation and has also just been like a world adventurer and uh, um, yeah, very very interesting dude, um, so.
1: Yeah man. Excited. Victor, the,
0: yeah. So the the way we start each podcast, kind of our tradition, is with a game called It's a Business. And so the way the game okay. is played is that without preparing anything, without thinking in advance, just jumping into the into the ice cold deep end, you say it's a business, and then you have to say a business idea. It can be um, it can be three words. It can be ten minutes long. It can be absurd and impossible, or I mean, technically, it could be a real business idea. Though people don't usually do that, so um, you just have to go three, two, one, and say it's a business.
1: Three, two, one. It's a business where we teach people how to think in real long term and how to make a real difference in their own lives and also how to make an impact uh, on the world.
0: Mm, it's like a coaching course.
1: It doesn't have to be a coaching course. It can be, I don't know, man, the actual product, we, we can figure out what that, what that would look like and what it is. Uh, um, you know, what the details would be, how it would stick. But uh, the, it's more, it's like actually this idea that, that I think it came to my mind right when you said this as the first thing, because it's something I've been pondering, especially the last few days of, um, you know, this, how we make really short term decisions sometimes that are, if you look at, at things on a long term scale, like, you know, things that you're afraid of doing or things that um, you're unsure of, um, or that feel safer or more secure, if you look at like what, if you ask yourself, what do you really want in the long term, in terms of, uh, you know, business and lifestyle and fulfillment and this, all this stuff, you um, it's something you have to go and build right but we have this or at least I've noticed uh, I something that clicked with me was um, that we we treat building this with like a kind of short uh, time span sometime instead of looking at a instead of looking at a 10 year or 20 year horizon um, you know a lot of the decisions we make might be something like one or two years or six months or three months or days even sometimes right mm-hmm. or I'm, I'm sure you've experienced also like trying to break a bad habit that's like the, the ideal or like the perfect example right like fighting the urge to eat shitty food or um, you know you know you should go do something that works you towards your goals but you don't do it um so yeah I just uh yeah I just started like thinking and like I think that's why the idea came right to my head it's like uh, how, how can you teach yourself and how can you then teach others how to really make a long-term uh, like th- thought process or, or like really think in, in, a, in a really long time horizon? Because on the long, longest enough time horizon, you would start building towards... Uh, you, would st- you would say like, okay, I want to do a career shift, um, but I don't have the skills. But if you're looking at a 20-year uh, horizon, that's negligible, right? You can you can learn anything and become a become excellent at it. And in terms of your relationships and happiness and all this, you would commit to people that you know you can see a long-term fulfillment with, or friendships that can can grow in trust and that have integrity over the long term. Things like this, right? Or if you think about what do I want my impact to be on the world, it would be Um, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think of like, "Mm, I want to build this business and I want to get paid. And, you know, you'd think like, okay, yeah, I can go make money and I can go become rich or whatever. Um, But I also want to help improve this aspect of society or the environment or something that, you know, maybe speaks to you personally, or that you think will have a good impact on like the, the greater good.
0: Yeah. And there's kind of a subtle there's kind of a subtle um, a subtle difference between that and basing your whole life around your retirement right cuz some people some people think too long term mm. um, whereas some people they're like you know okay i'm going into college i'm 20 now going to make sure i get a job that i don't like very much and like in the short term it's not great but um, but it's gonna, it has good retirement benefits and, uh, and shit. So then when I'm 65, then I can fucking cash in baby Mm -hmm. and then boom, freedom. So how would you, how would you tell someone to kind of balance those, those two
1: polarities? Well, I think, um, I think the question there would be like, you know, like what, 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 what is the end goal of like this, go to college, get a stable job and then, um, go, uh, retire whenever you're 65 or probably by the time we reach that age like the standard retirement age will be 70 plus right yeah um there's there's a there's a sense of uh, or like there's a decision making that is um you know it's it's not very it's very risk averse right but when you think of um like the how big the risk really is in terms of going and adventuring and building your wealth and all this, like there, you can do both. For example, if you just wanted to make enough money to retire, you can do both, but still there are so many small risks you can take. Like I'm sure I don't have to tell you about the the benefit of like traveling for a year. Right. Right. Like What do you like in terms of like life view and experience and adventure and, Probably like seeing new new opportunities, even um, a lot a lot of uh, our parents' generation would probably tell us, um, you know, that's quite risky, and you should like go and get a stable job and you know build your experience. At least that's the spiel I got like very hard from my parents when I told them, hey, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to Thailand for a while, and then we'll see what happens. Um, whereas like taking a lot of you know, whether it's a, like small social risks or, uh, business risks or lifestyle risks. Um, you know, after, if, if you go on a six month adventure, whether it's traveling or trying to launch your own business with something that is a, you know, validated and potentially good idea, um, the downside here is what? You lose a bit of money, maybe, um, Maybe you start from like, you know, you have to, you 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 end up in a place where you have to, bar, you know, work in a bar for three months until you get back on your feet or you move in with your parents for a while or you, you crash on a friend's couch for, for some time. I mean, that's like the absolute worst case scenario for a lot of people, right? Um, whereas the upside is 10, 20, 50, 100, 1000 X, depending on what you're doing, right? If you're launching a business, like you just have to hit the gold once and then you win right or if you go travel um you you know you you get all of this adventure and this experience um and then even if you come back and you don't have that much money like you you can build it back up right so it's, yeah. it's like about i think the like telling or like the question about retiring reaching retirement is um like Is that the life you really want? Like you really want to spend the next 50 years, you know, having this safe bet when the, when the other game you can play is like, not even that, like, it's not even that bad of a deal. You know, if you play the game, right? You roll the dice and worst case scenario at a quite low probability, you're out of it in a few months, best case scenario at a pretty high probability, you get, adventure, money, experience, growth, you know, all of that.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, people like there, there are people who, you know, think of themselves as truly long term thinkers. And so they're planning entirely for their retirement and what happens after they're 65. But they don't realize that the actual they don't realize the actual like length of that. Um, because if you took out two years, God forbid, of that 40-year you know, journey um, to fuck around and go to Thailand and uh, like try and start a business and do some high-risk activities, you could crash and burn and then have you know, very little after that. And, um, and then you still yeah. have a 38-year journey ahead of you. Like it's very small percentage of that time is taken up by, by risky factors
1: yeah yeah exactly and if you like if if your aim really was to you know let's say let's say you go into into some corporate career if you if your aim really was to reach that point where i'm at a high high paying you know position for the on the corporate ladder um and i'm stable you you can reach that anyway within a relatively short you know time frame like you know, I, I see people that, that are becoming directors or whatever, depending on how hard they work and how ambitious they are between, you know, some people do it in five if they're maybe exceptional. But even if it's in 10, right, that means that that 38 or 40 year time span means you could do do a new career and reach like a high, high level um, on the ladder uh, multiple times over. Mm-hmm. If you were some yeah. client.
0: So, okay, so how how old were you when you went to Thailand?
1: Uh, it was shortly after university, so I'd, I'd graduated, it was like, I was 22, 23, I think about 23.
0: Okay, and, and your parents were not into it?
1: Um, No, obviously, well, I'd gone to university, and I'd, I'd just graduated, and I, um, I actually moved back home, uh, I'd studied in England, and then I moved back home to Denmark, and then while I was getting on my feet, I, uh, I moved back in with my parents and then I got a job, uh, you know, some en- entry-level data analyst kind of role. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy that job, um, but I was I, I already knew because I'd been doing Thai boxing like very passionately and ambitiously for three years uh, at university and I, I ended up pr- uh, competing professionally in, in England as well. and um, I'd gone in my summer vacations. I would uh, saved up and gone to Thailand to train there for uh, a month at a time usually. And then every time I'd been there, I was like, mm, I want to get the experience of being there training like full time, but for really long. Um, and so I knew as soon as I came back, I came out of university, I was like, mm, this is going to happen. I'm going to save up money and then I'm going to go for like six months. And I knew it wasn't really that expensive. And I could make it work. So, um, yeah, that was my plan. But then I didn't tell my parents until like three months before I was going out. I was like, Hey, by the way, uh, I'm quitting my job on this day. And then I'm, I'm gone by this day and this is my plan. And they were freaking out. You know, they thought I was gonna go become a boxer full time in Thailand or something. And uh, yeah. What was, what,
0: what was the school like that you went to? Um, was it, was it catered to, to foreigners or was it like a local deal?
1: um yeah it's a good question i mean in thailand there's a big uh there's there's almost like a big tourist industry now around uh foreigners going to train there so you actually have to be a little bit uh like do your research and and make sure you reach you go to a quality place um but i i was lucky enough that one of my 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 trainer in the uk his uh his original trainer had a very good relationship with um, a kind of old school style gym in Thailand um, where he had trained himself and his trainer had been out there and stuff like this so I got the chance to go and train there for a month during my summer holidays between university um, and it was really I mean it wasn't authentic in the in the way that um, in it wasn't fully authentic in the way that like The life that the boxers live from you know, they're they start training from the age of typically eight or something, often, and then they're they train as a way to get out of poverty and then they fight their way out of poverty. So it's actually a really, really hardcore experience.
0: Just say, just so you know, I'm uh, recording a podcast with Victor, but it's not like the uh, not like the business one. If there's noise going on in the background, it's cool, but uh. So sure maybe the sugar bill comes soon and makes some noise. <laughs> oh yeah? That'd be i appreciate that background. Okay. <laughs> um cool. So so you said that this this was like it, it was like an offensive tr-
1: experience in the sense that yeah. the the training regimen and the schedule and the intensity uh, was probably or is the same as you know fighters would get out mm-hmm. there um, but you know it was still like I guess I, I think it's impossible to really really as a foreigner unless you grow up th- or like not even grow up there but unless you really commit to being out there for a long time and I think nowadays it's you know if, some years ago maybe but now I think it's really hard to 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 get this like this fully authentic experience that a, a Thai kid would have, um, right? But uh, so, what
0: was what was the what was the training like? Was it like I, I when you talk about this, I'm imagining the training being extraordinarily intense.
1: It is. It is. It's um like all you do is sleep, eat, and train. Basically, you train twice a day. You wake up. Um, I mean, the, each gym has their their own little regimen, but uh, often it's like three hours of training um per session um which includes a run could be somewhere between 4k to 10k depending on how seriously you're training or or if you're fighting or whatever and then um then you'll usually do like shadow boxing for for some time and then pad work where the trainer is like you know working with you one-on-one and you know watching your technique and and correcting you and, and stuff like this. Um, and yeah, then that goes on for, I mean, again, it depends on the gym and the, the, the setup, but often it's something like three to five minute rounds times 10, where uh, you, you finish your pad work. Uh, then usually you do some clinching. Clinching in, in Thai boxing is, um, it's like, you can think of it as stand up wrestling you're allowed to basically grab each other um, in a way that you're not in traditional boxing. You're allowed to grab each other and hold on to each other, like around the torso, around the neck and the head. Um, and then it's, it's like, a, it's a really beautiful art actually. It's, then you, you can grab each other and try to throw each other or grab each other and, and knee each other. Um, so it's a lot about, like you have to be really strong, but also very balanced and very coordinated uh, because obviously, as soon as you lift your leg to um, to knee someone, you're only on one leg, so then it's easy to get off balance. And so there's a whole like um, ju- stand-up jujitsu-esque uh, essence to it. It's uh, probably one of my favorite parts of, of Thai boxing.
0: And thai, thai boxing is just it is a badass martial art, right? It's like it's a it's very intense. Like it's a striking martial art. Um, it's uh you know jujitsu is like very uh patient and like not like not not an extremely violent form but like yeah thai boxing is like um yeah very very intense did you did you ever have like do you wear pads do you wear a helmet or, or pads or anything to protect you
1: for fights you mean yeah um in the traditional uh in the traditional thai rules in thailand no you don't you have a pair of gloves they'll typically be quite small eight ounce maybe 10 ounce um and then you don't have shin guards you don't have uh, any headgear. nothing you have well you have you have a cup protecting your uh your balls and um and you have a mouth they know guard for you to... They know what to prioritize. <laughs> exactly, <yeah.
0: laughs> Fuck but... the head, <laughs> yeah. balls stay.
1: Exactly, and then you have a mouth guard to protect, like your teeth, something you can bite on, so that you know if you get punched in the jaw, your teeth don't clatter together yeah. and, and break. Um, yeah, no. In the in the traditional in the traditional uh, rules, you don't have any other protection. Hmm.
0: Is um. Is that is that what you did?
1: yeah i so i i had a couple of uh i had a couple of fights like that um and uh yeah it's a it's an intense experience but to be honest like you train so hard before a fight like usually um usually a training camp will last. it's it's probably like at the very very least four to five weeks um Mm -hmm. i mean if you arrive already if you're already quite fit or you're already kind of fighting relatively consistently then you can probably ramp ramp up in like three four weeks for a fight but you know what, what my trainer used to say back in the UK is uh two months two months where you train six six days a week and you're running every day and uh you know you're really training hard and by the time fight day comes like you are uh you're fit, right? Like you're, you're, you're strong. Your, your fitness is high. Like you can, you can take a lot. Um, and I mean, it does hurt, but it probably hurts much less than most people imagine. Cause you have, uh, it like you, you have a lot of adrenaline uh, flowing through you. And yeah, I remember my first fight, like what would, like, what typically scares people on the first fights the most is like, you have a lot of experiences in thai boxing during training of clashing your your shins accidentally on you know someone's elbow or on their shins and it hurts like it hurts like a fucking bit. like it really it's one of the worst things and then you're imagining like you're in the in your head you're like and I'm now going to go in without shin guards and you know full blown as hard as i can kick someone kick them and then they block it with their shins so it's just like a full shin on shin blow um really what it what happens in the fights is that you you have a lot of adrenaline flowing through you so in the fight it feels more like a little electric shock like it's Mm. it's kind of like if you if you if you uh what's this called this movement um flick if you flick your um like a bone like an exposed mm. bone like on your wrist for example if you flick it pretty much as hard as you can multiply that by two <laughs> and it's like it's it really that's what it feels like it's like a lit it's like it's someone to had a little electric thing like a mini taser and just goes t- on your shin that's what it feels like and during the fight you don't have time to think about it so you re- it somehow it registers that okay I got hit there. There was one there was one fight where I'd been I think I, I had shin splints because I'd been running too much um, and like as part of the preparation so my shins were actually kind of uh, they were really sore and then I took the fight on on a short notice it was like I was already training intensely and the the trainers were like hey do you want to fight on Saturday and I was like okay let's do it. So that was like three days' notice. So then I was just told, okay, from now you just rest and then you come you come rested to the fight. Um, in that fight, it hurt a bit more. I was a bit more conscious of it. But to be honest, like even then, it's it really, like, there's just so much going on and you have someone, you know, trying to, like, hit you that you don't really think so much about, oh, that hurt my shin. It's more, it jumps to the back of your head and, um like I, I, I remember a, f- a thought going through my my head in the fights where it's like aha I'll feel that tomorrow, and you do you yeah. you you discover so many little bumps the next day and the days after where like oh I don't even remember getting hit there but like that uh like weird spots around your ribs and your shins and legs yeah
0: yeah you know it is crazy what the human body can adapt to when uh when if if it's your intention Mm -hmm. there's a there's a video out there i think of a thai kickboxer like chopping down a fucking tree by kicking it
1: that's actually a little bit deceptive because it's um, oh really they're banana trees so there are these thai banana trees which are like um they're no they're not as hard as uh as like you know you're like an oak tree or whatever even if it's a young one it's like you, mm. you can already kick down a banana tree
0: I can kick you're telling me I can kick down you, a banana tree.
1: You can probably kick one of these banana trees down like I don't man they're soft like they' they are kind of soft and like once it's I, I feel like
0: even then I would I would bitch out easily <laughs> if I'm just like kicking that with my shins
1: I don't know man I don't know like actually once when we were out on a run with this other there was this other uh, british uh, there was this other British girl training at, at the camp I was at. We were out on a run and it was in this like little local neighborhood in Bangkok, and we saw one of these banana trees and you know she goes like ah yeah yeah I can kick it I can kick it and then she like kicks down the tree and we forget about it we run we run back go to training and all this and then like the the head of the the camp at the time he comes and he's like who kicked down tree <laughs> mm-hmm. and then some apparently some of the neighbors they complained because it's actually. Uh, you know someone was getting their bananas from that and they were like what the fuck these westerners just came and kicked down the tree <laughs> i mean it wasn't a huge tree you know but it was like yeah it wasn't like a big deal either he was just like mm, don't do that <laughs> yeah um
0: what about what about those videos of like uh monks just like getting pummeled in the balls and uh and not reacting to
1: that i i don't know man i i don't know uh anything really about that i think that um that's not something in Thai boxing i will tell you though like there is there is an effect that starts happening after a while from training because during training you get so many little dinks as well like little dinks and bumps everywhere and like in the beginning your shins they they bruise a lot after a while it's like your body adapts and they just don't bruise um and uh yeah and like if if you if you're training a lot you know when you stub your toe on on a table or, or something it really hurts there's why is it that that thing hurts so much when i now that i haven't been training for a while that stuff really hurt like when i stub my toe it's like oh fuck stub my toe but When you're training, it's like you stub your toe, you're walking around at the house, you stub your toe, and it's like, ah, and then you get over it instantly. You're like, ah, yeah, whatever, because you're just used to these little, little things. Um, But with, uh, so you you do it, you do learn to adapt better, but when it comes to, like, monks getting, like, pummeled in the balls, like, I don't know, I don't know anything about that. Mm.
0: Yeah, you know, I think, like, all, you know, all, most species, to some degree, are going to adapt to their environment, but I feel like most, humans are unique, because I feel like most species are in a more narrow lane of, like, what their, what their behavior is like, and what their physicality is like, where, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can more or less predict, you know, what's, like, what's going to be the behavior of a, you know, of like this species of dog has has these tendencies the species of dog has uh, different tendencies or like a, like a deer is or like a squirrel is always going to run away from you there's there's not really going to just be too many rogue squirrels who are just super like alpha and aggressive right but <laughs> but but humans are are so like um our our body is in just a very sophisticated way. It's like it knew that we were gonna be living in all different kinds of environments um, and be like nomadic, moving around. Sometimes it's super fucking cold. Sometimes it's very hot and arid. Mm-hmm. And our body is just in a very sophisticated way saying like, "All right, this is what it's important to allocate our precious resources and energy towards right now." Like this person is fighting a lot, and it's counter and it's counterproductive to this person's survival. If, uh, if we don't regenerate, um, from like bruises and, and stubbed toes right, and, uh, and hits really quickly, but this person who's not really doing that, it's not as important for that regenerate regenerate regenerative effort to take place. And so the body is just like, you know, what, let's just not even deal with that, developing that part of the brain and, uh, and nervous system and like develop, you know, his ability to, um, like play, uh, like World of Warcraft. Uh, yeah, instead.
1: yeah, sure. I guess it. Like, I guess the body. It's um. Yeah, it is extremely adaptable, and it's like we do. We do have finite resources, right? In in every sense, like we have finite energy and and all this. And I guess the body is just very good at, like, yeah, realizing uh, what is the environment that I'm in. Uh, there's a, there's an expression for this. Um, homeostasis. It's where your right. body, uh, like all your body's systems. Um, adjust to a baseline that it's used to. Um, so you can you can also it it can be something good in the sense that once you're in the loop of this homeostatic I guess it's called this homeostatic um, loop, then you know habits that are tied into that and things like if you if you get into a positive uh, into positive habits they also maintain themselves better in, in certain ways. Like an example is. When you're working out a lot, you 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 feel good and you feel all the benefits. Um, as soon as you stop doing that, I don't know if this is like necessarily like your your body's biology, but for me, I definitely realize that I get more more restless and I get more um, like I feel an itch to to go and and train, right? And it's like a really positive loop. But you can also be in a negative loop of uh, your body's used to eating crap and you know, consuming fast foods and sugars and all this other stuff that um, isn't, you know, long term good for you. But it's hard to break out of that cycle because your body's used to working and has has like built its systems to be efficient with with uh, with that fuel, right? Um, so yeah, like it's it is fascinating. This topic like humans are extremely adaptable.
0: Yeah. And let's see, you've, you've also done a Vipassana meditation retreat, right?
1: Yeah, I've, I've sat in multiple retreats. Um, it's funny. It's a funny story actually related to the Thai boxing because um, I had gotten into meditation uh, in the year that I had gone home to my parents and... Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I started reading about it and I started trying it a little bit and doing some guided meditations. And somehow or another, I stumbled on uh, the Vipassana retreats as well, like at some point reading online. And um, I wanted to do it. And then I like, you know, I, I also looked it up and I saw, okay, there's some in Thailand. And I signed up for for a retreat there while I was out there training. Um, and actually like the first, like, yeah, I think, uh, all the retreats are mind blowing in their own way. Like the first one is just very groundbreaking because you you get introduced to this whole new world and you get like you get to see uh, you get to scratch the surface I think of what like going really deep with meditation can be. Um, really, I think it's an infinite pond. Like you can't really you can't really see the bottom ever. But um, but yeah, it, it it's very game changing. Um, and the, the reason I'm bringing this up with the Thai boxing was my intention when I'd gone out um, to Thailand to train was I'm going to go out there, I'm going to have a lot of fights, I'm going to get a lot of experience, you know, like fight local Thais and um, get better. And, I'm, And You know, I was committed to, I really researched and I knew what gym I, I wanted to go to that like matched the kind of style that I wanted to learn and that they also were very serious about training and stuff like this. Um, and then I, um, I went on this retreat eventually and during the retreat, I realized like it's not compatible to have, to really like pursue this path and also be a fighter, at least not for me. Um, and I had this realization that I didn't actually want to, I didn't want, I don't like hurting people. Um, and I don't consciously want to hurt anyone. Um but that kind of baked into the rules and it's funny you mentioned it with like the jujitsu is like the contrast baked into the rules of competitive Thai boxing is either you win because you knock the person out which means you really hurt them or you win because you hurt them more than they hurt you essentially right Right. of course there's nuances and like how you score points and all this but in reality like um, in the fights like you have to hit hard because it also matters on like it drains the other person's energy and it you know it, it wears them down right even if you end up winning on points um, and especially with Thai boxing there's this thing with the rules that it's you have to there's also like a, a psychology based show show aspect in the in the judging of it you have to look strong so um, really for, yeah so Things that score clean points in Thai boxing is stuff like you you land a clean kick, you land a clean knee. Boxing actually doesn't score points unless it shows effect. So showing effect would be something like I punch you and you get like you you know you your head moves or you're forced to step back to retreat or something like this. Um, Whereas and maybe I don't know if you've ever seen a Thai boxing fight, but they'll still fucking you know they stand you stand your ground and you just trade and that's part of it is also about showing strength for the judges so and like it's also like the the later rounds way more in the decision making than the earlier rounds um because it has to do with not just who hit the most necessarily but who is the strongest like who showed the most strength so um if you have a good round one two three but the your opponent and like on paper you won those rounds but if your opponent wins four and five most of the time your opponent then wins the fight because it's not about like counting and summing up the points of the individual thing it's more like as the fight goes on you think of it as like a balanced scale so one two three was weighing more in that direction but then because these others weigh more and they won those this actually ends up weighing outweighing the first round
0: Man, so this seems like a very riggable uh, judging system.
1: Uh, yeah, but at the same time, there is um, like it's also interesting. There have been scientific studies around how they how the judges judge in Thai boxing, and they're surprisingly consistent. Like there is really it takes yeah it there is some rules, and you get some feeling, and of course there is a bit of like um. There is a, a sense of who uh, like you know there might be some bias, um, but overall like judges like when they've when they've tested them like just analyzed the data of like hundreds of fights and looked across them they they've always been like it looks very consistent. That's not to say I'm sure that there's like plenty of corruption around it because there's also uh you know there's um. It's a, it's a huge industry with like betting in Thailand and like betting on fights. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a judging is hard to explain. Um, and it took, it took me, you know, a, a couple of years also with like my trainer, like really like explaining it and like showing and like during fights that we, we'd watch, um, you know, during in between the rounds, I'd, I'd like, you know, uh, I'd say like, okay, I think it's leaning more towards this person or that person. And over time, you know, also with with trainers and other experienced people explaining it to me, um, and then seeing the outcome of the judging, it's like, okay, I can see why this was given to this person in this in this situation um, and not to the other guy. Um, but it, yeah, but there there so there are like there are clear like, okay, when when you Uh, hit someone with a certain amount um, yeah it's like they're clean points versus if you um, if you put some if you give someone an eight count which is like you know they knock you knock the other person down and then the judge like breaks you up and gives the other guy a break of like eight seconds and counts him getting that count automatically puts you like um, some points up in the fight so there are some hard rules around how that is judged but then there's also um, like some other factors that come into play and like, you know, maybe you got eight counted, but if you came back really strong, instead of it being a 10-8 round in the favor of your opponent, it now becomes a 10-9. Um, are the
0: judges um, keeping track of who's in the lead, like in real time, or are they just tallying stuff up as they see it? And then at the end, they they, they go back and figure out who won.
1: I mean, I'm pretty sure they write down some numbers each round. Um, But it's like, it's again, it's not a question of how, how is it judged? Or like, you know, was it 10-10, 10-9, 10-10, and then they sum up the the thing in the end. Um, It also, it is factored into like, um, you know, then if, if someone ended really, really strong, even though they were behind and had a huge fifth round and, all this kind of stuff, that's the kind of thing that can bring them back in the fight. Mm.
0: So, like, the, the, so the fighters can, like, you get to the, the last round and they can be done and they could not really have an idea, a clear idea of who won that. They have to...
1: Mm, no, like, you'd see it, right? Like, you, if someone, if someone, you know, if someone has a big four, first four rounds, um, you do, You there's, a bit of a mountain to climb in the fifth one, though, Okay. right? Um, but if like, you know, if they come if, back. But if it's, it's
0: a close match, like they might be at the end, and and like even after the final bell is wrong, they might not know who's the winner.
1: Um, I mean, they are they are keeping they are keeping track to some extent of like how many how how well are they scoring? Because it's not just a matter of like, oh, did I hit you a few times? But if you if you land, uh, like really clean hits. Um, or you throw your opponent really well, uh, or off-balance them, um, you know, or, or count them, then these are all very clear points. They're all very clear scores. Mm.
0: You know, it's, it's, funny, it's funny for me to imagine this, because I don't watch fighting very, very rarely. Um, and so to me, if I'm just watching them fight, I'm just like, I'm just seeing two guys who are mm-hmm. fighting each other yeah right and it's the like for someone like me the scoring is so much less clear than in basketball or yeah, in yeah, basketball yeah. i'm just like that either went in or it didn't yeah, yeah so yeah. it's either points or not and yeah. uh yeah so it's, there's a subtlety
1: it's, to it for sure yeah and i think yeah. a lot of people also get tripped up like um you know they're if they're not aware of the, the Thai boxing rules, if they then watch um, a Thai boxing fight where, like the classic example is you'll have a Westerner who is also more boxing, like leaning towards more boxing and boxing influence. And then you'll have the Thai guy, which will typically um, be more of a kicker, a near, and less focused on the boxing. And that also comes out from like the schools or the systems that they've been taught in, right? But in traditional Thai boxing boxing like physically using your punches only gives you points um, when you show effect right so um, I, it doesn't mean that there aren't boxing schools or or, or uh, styles that are boxing heavy here or in Thailand um, but it's more that uh, I guess because the points don't favor it people also didn't train it as as hard so the tradition and the like culture around it has been much more around like the kicking and the kneeing and the elbowing mm. and the you know the, the clinching and throwing and this kind of stuff whereas boxing like you know people that learn thai boxing in the west uh will often have influence from the boxing world because um like west the western world is where like the like traditionally the best boxers have come out of it hasn't been like asia mm. So I think that's, and, and so what I wanted to say was like, you know, someone will be watching a fight and if they're not aware of the rules, they might, they might feel like, ah, oh, yeah, but like, you know, the, the, the Western guy was on him all the time and he was like, you know, he's punching the shit out of him, but because it wasn't showing effect or the Thai guy was taking it and trading it with the right, uh, like with lots of kneeing, lots of kicking, lots of clean hits, um, he scores way more. Um, in Thai boxing rules
0: what, what has been if you know what has been kind of the most famous judging scandal in Thai boxing is there a clear example of that I have
1: no idea no I don't, I don't know I don't know I'm sure it, I'm sure thought, it could exist yeah. but I don't know
0: yeah I just kind of thought of um like like randomly in uh you know there's a fa- in the in football Or soccer, as people in the States call it. Mm -hmm. Just a famous scandal. It's the World Cup, which 50% of the world population watches. Mm -hmm. Literally, three and a half billion people watch that, which is absurd in itself. And uh, I think it was South Korea rigged their game against Chile, like in the World Cup. And uh, so they basically bought out the referees. Um, which on a scale of the World Cup is gigantic Ridiculous. scandal. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, they they buy out the referees, and then the referees are like calling yellow cards and red cards when uh when players aren't even like anywhere close to each other, like they're saying like, oh, that goal didn't count for this or that reason, and then right. actually got knocked out. <laughs> it was something like that, yeah.
1: Um yeah I mean so, I, I know that there's huge corruption in, in FIFA as well so
0: <laughs> yeah huge corruption
1: I mean um, think think of like think of also the business that it is to host the World Cup and I know that there's just been scandals around like who gets uh, allocated it and when why and all of this
0: there there's a big uh, there was a big splash when uh, I think it was Qatar yeah, <laughs> got, yeah, yeah got selected and people are like what are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Qatar is gonna host. Like before any of these other countries, Qatar is really the the best place to have this. Like, who's gonna who's gonna go to Qatar to watch the World Cup? Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay, so you you did your vipassana, and did you did you realize right away that um, you were gonna stop uh, Thai boxing, or did you did it? That take some time to grapple with.
1: No, it it was. Um... I mean, it was pretty immediate in the sense that I had, had some insights during the meditation. Um, and then I grappled a bit with like, it was more like an, I, an identity crisis I had. Cause then I was like, shit, you know, like I'm really attached to, uh, you know, this is a sport that I've trained and I came all the way out here and, you know, this is what I came to do. Um, and now I can't pursue that path. Then, then, then what, like, you know, do I have to just give that up and, so it's a bit more like a, an identity crisis I had, I would say. But I, I got over it in a couple of days. Um, just
0: a couple of days, really? Well,
1: well yeah, it was more like, uh, I don't know, the realization was just really clear and really deep to the point where it was like so black and white for me that I was like, mm. yeah, I, c- I can't pursue Like, it's just, it's completely inconsistent with who I want to be. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Uh, for sure there were there were also a lot of other people at the gym that didn't understand and i was just like yeah i'm just here training now i'm not gonna fight anymore and they're a bit like oh okay um but to me it was just like yeah it was it was really clear and it's like um have you have you sat a vipassana retreat yeah one okay yeah so you you know that it's like it's all about observing uh observing sensation and observing your own reaction to the sensations and and trying and essentially observing just non-judgmentally, not reacting yeah. to all the sensations and, and in the body. J-
0: just for context, for if anyone's listening who's not aware, a uh, vipassana retreat is ten days when you yeah. meditate for ten hours a day and you and it's silent, so you don't speak at all for the ten days. So it's basically ten days where you're just um, eating, sh- eating, shitting, slip, sleeping, and and meditating. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So it's, it's a very intense meditation
1: it's practice. It's very, very intense. Um, yeah. But like, so, so the way the, the insights came to me was I was having flashbacks to specific moments in my fights where, for example, I would kick, kick my opponent or something. And um, as I was having these uh, mental images flashing before me, I was also very acutely aware of all the sensations that were in my body and I realized that the um, the energy that was that like the emotional energy that was going into generating this kick um, even if there was deep respect for my opponent and that's one of the beauties of this martial art is like you know you'll have these guys you know going tooth and nail in the ring and then afterwards they'll be hugging each other and you know, like there's a deep respect for the process. There's a deep respect for your opponent. It's like we both were both warriors that, we, you know, we came and we, we tested it out against each other and win or lose, like there's always a deep respect for, for your opponent and and for like the journey that they've also had to go through and, and, and all of this. Um, but like, you know, I was having these flashbacks to being in the ring and you know, kicking my opponent or hitting my opponent. And I just realized that um, the energy that I was generating was not a wholesome energy. It was an energy that came from a place of like ambition in the wrong kind of sense. Um, And it was a, it was a type of malice that I had. I was forced to generate a certain type of um, aggression that at the core of it aimed to hurt. Mm -hmm. And that was the problem with it. Right. That I realized I can still train this art, but I can't, like, c- I can't with a conscious mind compete in it because, first of all, like, yeah, like it, it, it comes, like the energy that I've, I'm, I'm training to generate and that I will be generating towards my opponent is not a wholesome one. It's not one that, and at the, like, you know, this is also what Vipassana shows you. It's that, um, it, the root of your own suffering comes from um, comes from your your reaction and your generation of unwholesomeness essentially at the at the core right uh, mm. when you, you realize very selfishly you can say that at some point or another you start to see that as I do um, as I do wrong towards someone else if you know if I if I cheat them or if I hurt them or whatever. It might be that there's like a you you might get away with it in the real world momentarily, um, and you think that you get away with it over the long run, but actually in that very instance you are punished at the deepest level because you realize that this energy is a is a root of my own suffering. It's the root of something that creates my own uh, yeah my own um, bad experience in the world. In the very moment you generate it, that's the real, uh, that's the real thing that Vipassana, or one of the things that Vipassana, uh, can really show you and what this meditation practice can really show you. It it shows you the root of your own suffering. And then the meditation is what you continue doing to help you navigate through these waves, uh, big and small in life. and stay stay balanced with them and the outcome is that as you practice consistently your your well being increases, your experience of love and compassion slowly grows like a tree inside you. And um, and over time your suffering hopefully is decreasing. That's like I think that's the real that's the real you know sign of, of the practice developing over time um
0: and and how many how many of these retreats have you done
1: i've uh i've sat three where i sat two silent ones um and i served on one and um then i've done a couple of like shorter ones like uh three-day ones and stuff like this um and the first one was yeah whenever i was in thailand so some four i guess some four years ago at least at this point five years maybe
0: Wow, so that's a that's a that's a steady pace.
1: Yeah, and I've been I've I've been pretty consistent. I think it's um, more than the. I mean, the retreats are really good, and they let you go very deep, and I, I certainly recommend them. Um, for me, I I wish I'd done more, but you know, life gets in the way. Um, but um, I think the real benefit of the practice comes from the consistent day to day like that's where you really see the, the fruits of the yeah. labor.
0: totally that that is totally my experience um, I did I've only done one 10 um, day retreat but uh, I, I did that one and then I like I kept meditating not but not it wasn't like religious it wasn't every day and, um, and, and I kind of kind of petered out and like that summer after I did the sit, the retreat in a spring that summer, I went to like very hard to deal with emotional place. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of like my, my emotions were kind of out of control.
1: Um, well, like, that might also have been because you've been practicing consistently. It's one of the effects that it has, right? It, it, it brings the meditation brings these things to the surface slowly
0: that that can't well i wasn't i wasn't practicing very consistently um and and it was like i yeah like maybe doing that it did bring me like because i did the had the experience of doing it it brought a lot of stuff to the surface and made me much more aware of these emotions but then i also didn't have a process of like managing them and dealing with them and it was kind of like a like manic depressive phase or something um summer like not not in any diagnosed way um i don't want to i don't want to be hyperbolic but um just like a week of like kind of like manic bliss and then a week of like real uh like sorrow and uh i think
1: that's not an uncommon experience at all actually when people get into meditation in various forms there's i I spoke to another guy that was serving on a retreat and he was one of these long-term servers like so he was basically a guy that had uh, moved to the retreat center for some months at a time and was able to uh, be a, be serving there and then at the same time you meditate some three to four hours a day um, but over a longer period of time so it's like still intense but more sustainable and like the, the service is actually really beautiful as well like I do recommend uh, trying mm. that experience that it's I mean if you feel the call to do it it, it should come from a place of wanting to give but the, like serving on a retreat is still an intense experience because of the schedule and you know you're feeding a hundred plus people or whatever and mm-hmm. um it really is teaching you to um to just give and to give and to let like let go of your own ego and really connect to the root of of you know you wanting to be of service um, and yeah. so they also say like it, it should come from a place of wanting to without expecting anything in return yeah um, anyway, what I wanted to say was that this guy, he also told me about um, a conversation he'd had with another long-term server who was like coming year after year and who had been practicing Vipassana for a couple of decades maybe. And he's like that he'd had a conversation with him and like this guy called it the like, you know, it's a, it, the dark side of Vipassana that you don't really, you don't know about it until you start going through it. Because people have this idea that meditation is like just, oh, I sit down and then I, I become one with the universe and it's all blissful and yada yada yada. And that's actually not what meditation is. Like meditation is the art of just sitting and being aware of your experience, regardless of what it is, good and bad. And um, and really, it's about learning to 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 surf these waves and realize when something is um, something amazing is happening, saying. Yes, I appreciate this experience, but this too will pass, right? Mm-hmm. Enjoying it, really like tasting it as deeply as you can because you know that any moment it could be gone. And the same with whenever tragedy happens or hard hardships happen, you say, yes, this is this is what it is and it too shall pass. So I don't need to worry uh, or um, Of course you you should worry to some extent about your problems about fixing them, but what I mean is the art is in being able to let go of it moment by moment and not create more suffering um, as these things happen right but what ends up what, what what the experience is with the meditation practice is that over time it also develops your awareness um to it, it develops your awareness to deeper and deeper levels and much more subtle levels um, to the point where you start having very, you can start having very deep, you know, spiritual realizations or insights into your psyche, uh, which can be really hard, and they're they're often identity crises of things about yourself that you have to let go of, and yeah. you know, in a sense, it's an ego death that you're experiencing. So it is, uh, in reality, it's a it is a hard experience. It's a positive experience on the other side, right? But, um, yeah. So you know it's not uncommon at all for people to start meditating uh, and especially when they do it consistently or if you do a retreat or if you have a a good practice then um, suddenly you can have experiences of just intense emotions appearing or like you know depressions or whatever and hear the the artist to say breathe in and breathe out and this too shall pass and and sit with it you know and that's the that's the beauty of it that you can sit (laughs) you can actually sit Sit it all away. I mean, it's not as easy as it sounds. But
0: yeah, it was like the the thing that really you know I had like yeah like once I started to meditate every day because I, I went through that really intense emotional experience but I didn't have a way to sit with it and manage it because I wasn't practicing consistently. Then I went to I did a, like one day uh, vipassana where it's like you know six hour.
1: Yeah, like uh, a refresher kind of day. Yeah, yeah a refresher
0: nice. kind of course. And um, th- then I, I, f- I felt so different after that. And I was like, okay, I clearly need to be doing this every mm-hmm. day. And I started doing it every day. And I've meditated every day for the last five years or something. And, That's awesome. Um, That's so good. It, it's Yeah, it's, and it's been fantastic. And... The, the, funny, the funny thing about it is that I'm a much more emotional person now mm-hmm. than I was yeah, before I meditation. But it's because before meditation, it's like my psyche knew that I don't have a way to manage these emotions or to be able to handle them. So let's shut them off and i was just had like a very flat emotional experience where like not 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 highs not lows it's just like kind of a kind of a numb a numbness and uh then once i have like now that i'm capable of feeling those emotions and like not getting uh destroyed by them i feel them i'm able to feel them much more strongly
1: yeah yeah absolutely I've, i've had the same experience um it is like you, you become really you come much more deeply in touch with uh, with yourself right and with your experience and with your how you are experiencing the world and you notice how so many subtle little things are actually constantly influencing you physically and, and uh, emotionally um, yeah I I would say actually that like I feel like I've developed into a much more sensitive person uh since practicing. Um and it it's weird at times because sometimes you can you can really deeply feel things that um like you know someone else might experience as like, ah yeah whatever. Um and uh it can yeah sometimes it can be a bit intense and it can be a bit hard. But I think at the same time um, it's like you really get the, the deep juiciness out of life it's like you know it's like adding color but it also means that like in my experiences that you also you experience the good you appreciate the good and you, you have i've had much more um much deeper experiences of joy and fulfillment i think as a cause of my meditation practice but also whenever there's been tragedies or losses or hardships um i also have very very acutely Felt the emotions of uh, of these experiences, and that is that is also hard, and that is also part of the practice, I guess, that you you learn to surf these waves as they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Somehow, it also it, it it's like your awareness will balance out to a level with your equanimity that like your ability to stay balanced, that you won't really you won't really get a wave you can't surf, even when it's hard. Because if it's too big, somehow, um, I mean, I can't quite put this into words, but it's like you won't, uh, if it's too big, you'll suppress it Mm because it's just a natural defense mechanism. So if it's too big for you to handle, um, and I mean, of course, you can also choose to consciously go and like, I would suggest like with the practice to, to let yourself feel these things, right? Because they, at the end of the day, they are. "Quote unquote" just emotions, um, just experiences, but I, I do think that, yeah, you you get what you you get what you can take, in some way, because like your experience will be tempered by your ability to stay balanced and emotional er, uh, aware, and this feedback loop won't, uh, it'll it, it like spirals up, but it won't uh, it won't throw you a curveball you can't handle even when it's hard. At least yeah. I don't think so.
0: Do you notice any, um, could you, could you draw any comparison between a 10 day Vipassana retreat experience and like an ayahuasca, um, experience?
1: Can, can we hold on that question? I would really like to take a just two minute break to go to the bathroom. Yeah, sure. Cool. Just give me a moment. yo yo cool sorry about that uh i drank a ton of water like straight after training Uh and i think now it's like it all started going through my system i was like ooh, suddenly gotta go a little bad
0: um cool
1: cool so the question you asked drawing comparisons between a 10-day vipassana retreat and uh sitting an ayahuasca retreat or an ayahuasca ceremony Right. Um, I don't I don't really know where to begin with this one to be honest like what I would say is um, like you know both of the experiences can be and probably are extremely powerful um, I feel, I feel more like, um, the meditation practice is to me, to me, my meditation practice, no matter, you know, no matter what, I I feel like that's like my core, like that's the core practice. It's what, um, really is helping me, uh, day by day, week by week, year by year, surf, surf the waves of life right, the ups and downs, and manage them really well, and man, or manage them better and better, I hope, um, and it's what I think, over the long term, you know, is what, what trains, it trains, like, your compassion, and your awareness, and, and your ability just to, to, to be conscious in the world, um, and I feel like, my meditation practice is also has also helped me stay aware and be more aware of things that happened uh, during ceremonies, uh, during ayahuasca ceremonies. I mean, I've only sat two, so I can't I can't say that I'm an expert by any means, and I, I don't pretend to be. And it's a it's a world that I it's it's a yeah sitting with plant medicine is definitely something that I I also want to explore more of um, for sure. What what I got the feeling from experience from my experiences with ayahuasca is that they ayahuasca can go very deeply to the root of something that's holding you back energetically or that it, it's some energetic work that you need to do and um, yeah it heals you it helps to let go of uh, of things that you know I I'm sure that I have a feeling that a lot of things that I wasn't even conscious of um, just were wiped away, mm. um, but uh, but yeah, I mean it, it isn't. It, I don't. I also don't think. I think it's a not a good attitude to approach the ceremonies with like, I'll drink a few cups of this and then I'll be enlightened or I'll be healed or I'll be whatever. Yeah. Um, what I experienced with uh, with ayahuasca, I definitely. Was, yeah, it's something that you then have to go and integrate and apply in your life. You might be shown things, you might have visions of things, um, but that doesn't mean that you, you know, it might help some of these homeostatic systems readjust, but I also believe that a lot of these, you know, your habits and your mindsets and things still need, you still need to adjust and change and integrate that and make that part of your being, you um, afterwards. And I think this is also where a meditation practice hugely helps with, uh, you know, helping you have that train that moment by moment awareness so that the things that you were shown or things that you experienced during your ceremonies will, as they the lessons surface in an applicable way in your day to day life, you learn you you'll start noticing these moments more and, you know, taking the, the decision that is, um, the wholesome one or the correct one.
0: Yeah. My experience with psychedelics has always been that speaking about well so there's a difference between my experience, like how I tend to experience LSD and how I'll experience ayahuasca. Although I've also haven't, I'm not hugely experienced with ayahuasca. Um, where LSD, it gives me a brief, um, brief access to my full potential, mm. brief access to my full creative potential, to my spiritual potential, to my potential capacity uh, to love others and to feel um, a sense of communion and community with um with non-humans uh, and with nature and um but that is it, it gives me it's like it's like it opens a door and says like hey if you find the key this is where you'll be but okay we're gonna close the door now <laughs> and um and the the effects of it do like i mean it, ha- it has had lasting effects Oh, yeah, but eighty percent of the effects from LSD have, for me, fade, um, and it's the the meditation is what uh, is kind of my vehicle to uh, as I'm on the scavenger hunt for that key to open that door. Um, it's uh, it's kind of the vehicle that I drive uh, to to get there, and um, and like a combination between meditation and life choices, like going on an adventure to India uh, or, you know, traveling or doing something crazy or learning a new skill. Like those are, those are also vehicles um, for, for that growth to help access my potential. Yeah, and then like ayahuasca is like, it um, exposes things that are going on, on inside me. That I may very well have never found through meditation, um, but it it shows them to me, mm-hmm. and then same thing as with LSD is that it's a it's now that's a project for you to work on. It's not a solution, although certain like certain things are do have a lasting effect. The same thing where eighty percent of it is stuff that I need to earn after I've found out about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like um, I think the. Like I, I always think of uh, psychedelic experiences, and maybe we can put ayahuasca into into a psychedelic experience. Even though I'm not, I've heard that some people uh, say you shouldn't call it psychedelic. Um, All right, but they're wrong. You know, then, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is. Um, but yeah, um, in in the way that, and also, okay, maybe maybe I I won't group ayahuasca in this one right now. But let's say like if you have a you know uh, a strong dose of LSD and and you uh, you have some pretty like uh, deep insights into you know the nature of reality or your life or whatever, it can be a little bit like uh, being thrown through a brick wall, right? And you, yeah, you bri- the brick the brick wall hurts you and you're you're broken on the other side and you're like you're you're disoriented as you come out of the experience and it's intense. Um, and you're trying to like, you have to like pick up the pieces afterwards somehow and like integrate that and put it all together. Right. Whereas meditation, I see it more as like, it's the approach of crossing the wall where you take a brick down brick by brick, and then you just step through the hole. Um, and then you gently put it back in place. Right. It's, it's a more, it's a slower and like, Longer process, but it's it's cleaner somehow. Cleaner is maybe not the right word, but I think you know what I mean, right? Like that it's, um, yeah, that the the psychedelics can be a super intense way of experiencing it, whereas the meditation can be a like softer and more gradual way of uh, of having these insights and these experiences.
0: You know, and, your uh, yeah. um your description of that wall, it it just reminded me of these uh, temples in India where they're carved out of the mountain. And so like the way most, uh, say you're building a church, is like the way you'd build that is say, okay, let's design the way this church goes. Here's a spot where there is nothing. And then let's build the bricks and then put all the structures in place. Uh, instead, they were it was, they took kind of more uh, like Michelangelo's Dave, David approach where they see the temple inside of a mountain And then they carve out all the designs and structures for a temple, including pillars and like uh, an altar and uh, designs in the walls and like a Buddha statue. They carve that out of the mountain space Um, and over thousands of years. So like these Buddhist monks living up in the mountains, someone, some group of them started just standing at the mountain and they're like, okay, you know what? We're gonna start uh carving a temple into place here and then we're gonna let uh the next twenty generations uh finish this. I I'm like that that is an absurd level of patience. And also well, coordination. Man. Like right. did they leave did they leave an architectural plan? Like did they or did they people just figure it out kinda as they went?
1: I I don't know. I mean Yeah, I mean I've I've heard of uh of, of monks in all kinds of traditions having having you know crazy big projects like this as well mm-hmm. and um i get i mean like the patience is also like a reflection of uh of like uh a commitment to the path i guess right yeah like, um yeah you know, have you heard of uh you know like the the i think it's like tibetan buddhists that they'll uh They'll make like these really big, beautiful mandala painting or paintings is not the right word, but like um, where they basically they'll put little colored pebbles, you know, they, they could be like the size of a nail or smaller um, mm-hmm. and just like place each of these pebbles into these huge um uh, what what would you call it? Like you you can you know what I mean when I say painting, like a huge
0: right? like, um I don't know slab of of stone of, or of,
1: yeah like and they, and, or something. and they, they basically make this beautiful picture like a huge mandala made out of the tiniest little pebbles, and then the practice is that on the one hand it's like you know place like place, placing each of these pebbles you know with awareness and with consciousness and with you know with, with patience. Um, And then the moment that the last pebble is placed, they have to wipe the whole thing clean. Because it's, uh, it's again, like, a practice of impermanence. Uh, This this structure that I built, this also is impermanent. And yeah,
0: um, yeah. Yeah, with those mandalas, they're spending like, hours a day, um, working on this design for like six months. And then Uh, just getting it i I actually i saw them i went to um in in india where the the dalai lama lives Mm -hmm. and uh, i I saw them doing this like just tap they fill a little like kind of like a thin funnel with these tiny colored uh stones and then just tapping it to get them out and just so perfectly designing it and then yeah the thought like you know what would most people would consider probably the magnum opus the uh the artistic masterpiece of their life then they just ritualistically wipe it all away wipe
1: it all away yeah wow that's um yeah (laughs) (laughs) what a practice (laughs)
0: yeah yeah it's uh it's it's really it's really interesting one um and it's it's funny it's funny to think of like uh you know because i like i don't know I'm not, I'm not that like i don't really need i don't feel like i need that level of uh not, of non-attachment you know like it's funny to think of it as an artist where you know something we do as an artist is to create something that's, that's beautiful that people are able to is tangible and that people are able to appreciate mm-hmm. and um I don't I don't, wipe, I don't I don't want to wipe it I don't want to wipe it all away. Sure. I really like to keep it. But um and also like understand the power of being able to do that is uh it kind of, it reminds me of um one of my, my favorite musicians uh, slash bands is Radical Face. And right. When he was 18 so he writes, he writes these uh, con- these concept albums where it's like a, a trilogy, three-piece album uh, that's all about this family in the early 1800s. And there's like all these characters uh, that he, he created. So there's this massive storyline going over uh, these three albums. And, uh, but before he did that, he wanted to be a novelist. And he wrote a full two novels on his computer... And then his hard drive
1: crashed. Oh, yeah. I and, think I heard this story, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And yeah, then the, yeah, way yeah. That, the way that he dealt with that was to just buy a guitar to have something to do while he was <laughs> saving up money to get a new computer so he could continue being a novelist. And yeah. then that actually, he ended up fusing his uh, talent and practice of uh, novel writing into his music. And um, it's kind of like that, just being able to, like, look at this and be like this is very shitty and that now i have to deal with it because they can't change it and that's mm-hmm. essentially what the monks are doing
1: right yeah but i guess i guess like well th- that example is very interesting and just like in the drive that that guy has and like the commitment to i mean i wonder where that comes from like maybe he gets really into things and then uh, you know, he started playing it as a bit of like a. Maybe it started with like, oh yeah, I'll have something to do while I save up, and then gets really into it and just creates projects and stuff mm-hmm. like this. Um, but I wanted to say like with the thing with the with the monks and like the, the that practice of letting go. Maybe it's um, like from an artist's perspective. Um, I guess I guess it's easy to get caught up in in this idea of or this loop of is this good enough um what will people think uh, is it at the level that i'm that i'm even seeing myself at? you know is it you know can i can i compete with my own self image of like the quality and the level of whatever art i'm producing that i'm expecting myself to produce or whatever you know there there can be many many facets to this and i guess there the practice um even if you don't destroy it afterwards is just being able to connect to that space inside you that 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 lets it flow and lets it just come out of you without judging it and without blocking yourself, um, and then basically detaching yourself from that outcome and uh, and uh, letting it appear. Right? Doesn't mean you have to ritualistically wipe it out afterwards. But mm. um, yeah, I'm sure that there's a there's a lot infused also in their practice of of placing the little stones of uh of creating this art themselves yeah Yeah. how have you like that's actually an interesting question that i'm really curious about to ask you with with um have you felt the difference in your meditation practice like once you've been um meditating in your ability to uh to produce art
0: yeah um and honestly for the first several years it was it became harder um, it became harder it became harder at first but now it's um my the art that i create is, is much richer mm-hmm. um because and and part of it is is because my um like the like art forms that that i pursue um and also like the way that i think and process information is through words um Like I'm a very word-based thinker, whereas other people will think about like think images and and stuff like that. And so, um, lyrics and, uh, words and like poems and, and like any writing or anything like that, um, before meditation was always like, um, I would get caught in this like manic frenzy of thinking and, um, and like, and, and it would just be words, words, words running through my head. And I would like kind of catch the ones that were interesting and put them on the paper or like, I would take that kind of this like restless, um, uh, like anxiety and like something I need to get out and just like bang something out on the computer. And, um, but then after like I started meditating and my, my mind really quieted down, I didn't have access to that anymore. Um, hmm. really. And uh then it it actually took a while for then it's like my my mind my body figured out a new way to access my creative side where like now my my process for creating a song is that i just sit down and start playing guitar and then I, i just start singing without thinking anything and the words just uh just come out on their own and then occasionally it just comes out as a song spur of the moment there's like nothing planned Mm -hmm. and it's a very short quick process it takes like like so it, it takes like three to six months for a song to come out but when it does it's like a it's like a 30 minute to an hour long process
1: right wow that is fascinating um because I've I've heard like uh, I've I've heard about this phenomenon as well from other artists. I've experienced it. I think in different ways, but I think maybe there's something um, much more tangible about the process of like producing a song or writing a poem or or you know like you you have something to show kind of at mm-hmm. the end like to, to, to describe to. It's a result of this process that you're talking about, right? Because um, I've certainly, it sounds like you you're experiencing like flow states that that where you're like you're 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 just accessing all this preparation that happened in the background, and then your subconscious just puts it together and like lets it flow out of you. Um, and yeah, I can I've had this experience uh, specifically with art one time that I can remember. Um, like I say, art in this traditional sense of like I was actually drawing um i was i i i'd seen this like basic tutorial on how to like draw a little mandala thing um and i just like randomly sat down and just started drawing it and for the record like i would consider my drawing really bad like it it's Mm -hmm. nothing nothing special right like you know there's probably plenty of 12 year olds out there that draw better than me But i just drew this uh this little mandala that just started growing and growing and growing and it grew into this whole page and the process of just letting it come out it was it was as if it just came out um it wasn't as if it like i was consciously thinking like oh i should do this and i should do that it was more like i guess because of the nature of like the mandala itself was like it the the idea was like okay you just put a line here and then you connected with another shape and you connected with another shape Mm -hmm. and then it started being this symmetrical thing that I then started like adding all kinds of like just randomness to um, until a whole page was filled up and it turned like and there was even like a bird like flowing out of it at one point and um, all these weird cool shapes and then yeah I just remember like being like huh that that thing just came out like it wasn't like I didn't I didn't consciously uh, decide what it should be I just sat down and it came out through me um, mm-hmm. and yeah that was a really like like that experience actually sat with me or has, has stuck with me um, and and there's something that I, there is this kind of jealousy I, I feel like when when with the connection to to the art that like you know musicians and painters and, and what have you have
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's, and, and you feel like you feel like you wouldn't be able to repeat that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I, I like, yeah. Yeah. I don't think yeah, I could sit down and try and draw that again and it would come out like the same, but I guess that's also part of the process, right?
0: It's, it's basically the same thing for me every time I write a good song. Um, cause the bad songs are not coming out of some flow state where the words are just coming effortlessly. They're like, whatever. I'm like just struggling through something and mm-hmm, eventually mm-hmm. I give up. And, uh, but the, the ones that are good are like, I'm like, like I, th- it happened. It happened a week ago. I wrote like probably the best song I've ever written, um, and it was like I, absolutely. If I you asked me to pick up this guitar right now, I'd say there's a like less than one percent chance that I'm able to repeat that right now. Right. Um, but at the same time, maybe I, maybe it is because I never know when that's gonna happen. Cause I was just. Like, I had just arrived in Kiev after I was living in my parents' place for five months during COVID. Mm. And, um, and then I had just arrived in, in Kiev, like, a couple days prior. And, um, you know, and there was, like, some emotions of being, okay, now disconnected from, like, the safety of home and, like, going out into the world. And the world is a weird and different place oh. now than, what, than how I remember it. And, uh, but when I, when I picked up my guitar, I really wasn't thinking anything. I was like, I was, my only intention was like, all right, I'm just gonna, just gonna fiddle with my guitar. And I just started playing something and like some, like I kind of hit some, like hit some notes in the guitar. I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. And then I just started like saying random nonsense words that ended up being totally about my experience of like traveling out into the world and trying to like piece my life back together and trying to figure out yeah. like who was I before I forgot wow. everything about how to be social. and like, who am I now? And wow, I'm just like a
1: medium for expressing emotion.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it, it just comes out like it comes out in real time without mm. thinking about it at all. Um, and it's, I, it's such a fascinating state. And wow, in a yeah. certain, and it's in a, in a certain way, it kind of, I feel like I like my songs more than most uh, musicians either do like more than most musicians feel comfortable liking their own art. Um, right. Cause like if I write a good song, like I really like it. Um, and I feel like maybe part of, part of that is because it feels so separate from me where like, I really, it doesn't feel like i put anything into writing it. It's like, it was just there. And I, just happened to catch it and uh it doesn't really feel like mine um but i i just happened to happen to make it
1: wow wow yeah that that's it's a it's a interesting state i mean I've, i've definitely experienced uh these kinds of um these kinds of states i think i've had this um in different moments with like ranting about something where like um I'll rant about something and as, as I'm in the middle of it, I'm like, whoa, this like, it, somehow it's like really even hitting a nerve with myself, with the mm-hmm. stuff I'm talking about and thinking about and, and, and saying. Um, but uh, yeah, but I don't know like if I have this uh, this everyday, I say everyday, but like this, this kind of, uh, I don't really have another medium for expressing uh creativity I wouldn't say like I don't I don't have a hobby that uh, is specifically geared to like the same way that um um, music or 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 painting or something like this um is like naturally an expression of of creativity um Mm -hmm. but at the same time I don't know I don't think creativity is also something that you box into these uh these things Um, yeah um yeah, no, it's more—it's more just that, like the—I meant the—the the tangible outcome that, that um, you might have after painting a painting or after writing a song, like that. Um, it's like a connection directly to that flow state, right? Even if it doesn't yeah. feel like you were the one that was making it, it's like you were just the medium for it somehow. Mm. Yeah. And do you fe- do you feel like you like your songs? Do you think there's anything to do with the fact that um, you know if, if you feel completely detached from them in the sense that you didn't feel like you made them if I understood you correctly that that, that it just kind of came out um, but at the same time they are clearly a product of your experience and your you know they are an expression um, of you know your emotion and, and all this do you think that there you, you feel like you like it? Um, also because it is something that is so close, but not you, if you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, like, yeah, I, 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 kind of know what you're, what you're getting at. Like, you know, like maybe you've had the experience of hearing a song that feels like it's about you. Um, Mm -hmm. and my songs certainly feel like they're about (laughs) and um it's it's funny like there is it's like i'm like definitely um definitely proud of them but like not not overly proud like i'm like yeah i made this like this is awesome but i'm i'm also like if i feel good about it i'm just like that's just a good song and i don't don't know where it came from
1: um No, I I didn't mean, uh, I didn't mean like uh, feeling proud about like, look, I created this. I meant more that you, um, you, you know, you say you like them, um, like in the sense that, you know, if if I listen to some other, other song that I didn't create, like if you listen to some other song that you didn't create, there's something about that song, if you like it, that speaks to you, right? True. Um, And I meant more, do you think there's a connection between the fact that your songs come out of like, uh, your own emotional space, um, their product to some extent of that. Um... So,
0: yeah, like there, there are, there are definitely other, like other artists and musicians who will write a song that really resonates with me. And, and, uh, and it hits, hits like a clear, like emotional resonance for me, but there are no other artists besides myself. Um, who write a song that, for me specifically, has such a specific connection
1: to yeah, something course, in my life?
0: Yeah. Where, like, you know, there, like, there will be, you know, an emotion that I think of, and then I think about the girl that was on my mind when I was writing that song, or like right. I'll think about, like, specifically me sitting on my uh, parents' porch on the last. A day before I was about to leave that COVID isolation and go out into the world, and then thinking about me landing in this new place and like uh, and like that specific experience, mm-hmm. like people like artists can like other artists can write songs that will um, that I can then like find an attachment or like a it's like something in my own life that it relates to, but nothing that specific, and so like maybe, yeah. like maybe that is part of where like the resonance to my own own songs come from
1: sure yeah it's a it's fascinating
0: yeah anyways dude i think uh i think we should wrap up um
1: sure how long have we been going uh,
0: a little over an hour and a half oh yeah
1: cool yeah Yeah, well i don't know man i feel like every time we speak it's like uh (laughs) we always have to put a lid on it and call it because it just doesn't stop (laughs)
0: <laughs> totally yeah i could i could talk to you for six hours um <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah, actually like more so than almost almost anyone where i'm just like like this is like the like like the range of possibilities of where i want to take this conversation only gets yeah, bigger like the longer that we talk
1: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like a hydra <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no it's cool it's cool as well because it's like every time And, like, when we speak, I always have, like, this vague idea of what, like, I want to talk to you about. And then half of the time, we don't even broach, like, the majority of the topics that I actually wanted to mention or or get get onto uh, or whatever. Yeah. Mm. No, it's cool.
0: So, dude, thanks very much for being on. This is a very interesting, awesome uh, conversation. Is there... You're not, you're not exactly like a, like a media influencer or anything. Is there anywhere, uh, you would want people to like find you online or just leave it at this podcast?
1: Um, I mean, sure. If someone wants to reach out to like ask about meditation or whatever, or have a chat chat about something, sure. I mean, um, Actually, I don't know. Maybe they can they can write you. I don't I don't really know if I want to put my my email or, or like Facebook sure, tag up somewhere. All right, um, so so, if,
0: <laughs> so like if, if someone really wants to talk to you about meditation, they can send me a message. Sure. at Backpack Jesus on on Instagram, and then say like, you want to talk to Victor," yeah, yeah. and I'll try and connect to you. Actually,
1: I do have an Instagram handle, but I don't really. I, I intend to start using it again. It's underscore V Camacho underscore Uh, like Camacho is in C-A-M-A-C-H-O the way my name is spelled so underscore V Camacho underscore probably not the most accessible (laughs) handle Um, but I won't I won't really see it right now because I'm not really using Instagram at the moment but um, but yeah cool Cool.
0: all right well thanks buddy Um, and until next time
1: hell yeah have a nice evening